listening to Success Unwrapped with Heather Vale. Welcome to Success Unwrapped with Heather Vale, the weekly radio talk show where we unwrap and reveal the secrets that successful people use, and you can too. Available at successunwrappedradio.com. My very special guest this week is Jack Canfield, best-selling author many times over and a leading authority on self-esteem and achievement for the past 30 years. He's the co-creator of the Chicken Soup for the Soul series, a runaway success story in the publishing world which has now sold over 100 million copies. And he also co-authored self-development favorites The Aladdin Factor and The Success Principles. He's appeared on over 200 TV shows and 600 radio shows. So what the heck, here's one more. Jack, thank you so much for being here today to teach us about the principles of success. Oh, my pleasure, Heather. Now, we're used to hearing about seven habits and ten steps to this and that, but your book, The Success Principles, outlines a whopping 64 principles. Why so many? Well, basically what happens is I've had a lot of students come to me, over 10,000 I've worked with intimately, and they've read all those books, the six steps to this and the ten steps to that and the seven habits and the five secrets, and their lives still aren't working. So I took a strong look at my own life because I've had outrageous success. You know, I'm a multimillionaire and I grew up in West Virginia. No one expected that. I have, you know, 100 million books in print, as you said. We've had 60 on the New York Times bestseller list. And I had great relationships, great health, etc. And I said, okay, my life's working really well. What is it that I've done? And I sat in bed one morning with my computer and I listed 114 principles that I've been living my life by, way too many. And so I was able to narrow it down to 64 and then I went out and I researched, I interviewed 75 highly successful people, generals in the military, successful in terms of real estate sales, multi-millionaires, two billionaires, celebrities in entertainment, found it the same principles that I was using, they were using. And so it's like knowing the combination to a lock. doesn't matter if you're black or white, male or female, young or old, etc. If you know the combination to the lock, it has to open. The problem is most people know like two numbers and they need four. And so I really said, okay, I want to write a book that's a one-stop shopping success Bible or success manual, if you will. And uh, that was what I set out to do. And I think based on the feedback, that's what we've done. Which of those principles would you say are the most important? Well, I, all 64, or I would have written a shorter book. But <laughs> to answer your question a little more rationally, um, basically, I think the, if I was to boil it down to a very simple model, I'd say, look, you have to first clarify what's your purpose. I believe everyone is born with a certain set of core gifts and talents, and they have a purpose in the greater fabric of humanity that we're supposed to express and experience. Uh, just this morning, my wife and I were talking about a woman who's an animal psychic, and you know, a lot of people would poo-poo that, but my friend, my neighbor, who's a very conservative Republican, his dog was fighting with another dog that he owned. The dog was really kind of miserable, and he went to the animal psychic, and she told him, that he had run away this one day and what had happened to him for two days while he was missing. And, and this psychic knew nothing about the person or the dog, but was able to tell him exactly everything that happened, came back and applied that, and, and the dog's getting along fine now. So each of us has an inborn purpose, and if we can identify what that is, then what happens is we can align with it and we get real fulfillment. Then we have to have a vision for what we want. We have to decide what it is that I want to experience, what do I want to do, what do I want to have in my life? And then if I can break that down into specific goals uh, that are measurable in time and space so that I have a list. There's actually research, Heather, that shows people that write their goals down at the beginning of the year 
are 200% more likely to achieve them than people only think about them. And I go out in the world and I ask people, how many of you have written goals? And less than 10% of the people raise their hands. And it's one of the simplest things to make sure that we're successful because it literally programs the brain. It would be like you calling a travel agent and they'd say, where do you want to go? And you go, I don't know. <laughs> they want to know where and when. And that's exactly what we have to figure out in terms of our goals. And then there's just a few more steps. You've got to believe in it, that you're able to do it. We can talk about that a little more. You've got to spend a few minutes every day visualizing yourself already having the things you want to have. That creates a vibrational match in your emotional and your mental system for attracting it into you, and we can talk more about that. Then, obviously, you have to take action, and there's what I call obvious action. If you want to be a lawyer, you've got to go to law school. You've got to take the law review board, etc. You've got to study. Uh, then there are what I call inspired action. As soon as I have a goal and I start visualizing it, there's research now that about 30 days into that process, my brain will start to come up with these creative ideas. And those are the inspirations to act that I have to act on. But if I don't, I'm going to miss the opportunities. And then I have to respond to feedback because we're going to get feedback about how we're doing well or not. And then finally, persevere and never give up. So if I do all of those principles, basically I've got a nice, simple blueprint for success. If you want, we can go deeper into each of those. Yeah, actually, let's start with the first one because that's probably the foundation for all of it. How exactly do we identify our purpose? Well, basically, if you look back on the times of your life when you experienced the most joy, when you felt most like yourself, like a lot of people will say, I don't feel like I can be myself in this job. Well, obviously, you're not in your purpose if you're doing that. If you're miserable at work, if you're not enjoying what you do, because when you're aligned with your purpose, it's actually effortless and easy. The research shows that when most people are doing what they really love to do, they're surprised people want to even pay them for it. Like one of the things I naturally do is introduce people to each other who end up doing great business deals together. And people always say, well, why don't you, you charge for that? You're like a business broker. I said, you could do that? It never even occurred to me. I just have so much fun watching people get together and make their dreams come true. And uh, Tiger Woods loves to play golf. He does it easily. And some people love to teach. And you love to do what you're doing. And so the idea is if you're experiencing joy, you're on purpose. Now, a way to kind of crystallize that is to go inside and say, what are two qualities that when I'm most expressing them, I feel like me? So for me, it's love and joy. Then what are two ways I most love expressing those qualities? Well, for me, it's inspiring people. That's what the Chicken Soup for the Soul stories do. And then it's empowering people. And that's what the books like The Success Principles, The Aladdin Factor, The Power of Focus, Dare to Win, and so forth, what they're all about, specific technology, tools, and strategies. And so then I ask the last question is, if the world were working perfectly for you, you know, based on your point of view, what would be happening? And people come up with things like everyone would be living in harmony, the world would be ecologically sound, there'd be order instead of chaos, there'd be no wars. For me, it's everyone's living their highest vision. So you combine all that into a purpose statement. Mine is inspiring and empowering people to live their highest vision in the context of love and joy. So whenever I'm doing that, I'm doing it now with you, I feel great. I'm on purpose. So then, once we've established our purpose, how do we create a vision out of that? Well, basically, you ask yourself, if, if I could do, live my purpose fully, what would it look like? And for me, it looked like several things. Transforming education in America, meaning helping the schools start to realize that we need to teach kids to, to manifest their vision rather than learn the things we think they should learn. 
And, uh, you know, I've got a son who's a, a natural artist and singer and, and entertainer, and he's in the school plays, and he's in the Visual Arts and Design Academy Institute within his high school. But he hates chemistry. He's never going to use chemistry. All he's learning to do there is to suffer through something. And in my school, he wouldn't have to study that. Now, if there was a point where he needed to know it, he'd want to learn it, and he would. So basically, that's part of my vision. The other part has to do with uh, bringing these books out. We want to sell a billion books by the year 2020. So what you do is you look inside and you say, when I look back on my life, if I had lived the perfect life, what would I like to say I've experienced? What would have I done? What would have I been? Where would have I gone, etc.? And I, in my book, have uh, seven categories that I invite people to look at. Uh, they, they include uh, financial, career and job, like what do I want to live out there? What would it look like if I could have the perfect job and career? Relationships. How many friends and what kind of family members and how would we be interacting and how often will we be doing? And then we look at the area of health and fitness and physicality. And then we'd look at uh, fun and recreation. What would I want to do there? And then uh, look at what I call personal, which is just things I want to do because I want to do them. Like I took my son, we climbed the Eiffel Tower. Next year we're going to the Great Wall of China. And then lastly, what contribution do I want to make to the world? And so if you look at those seven arenas and you come up with things every year that you're going to do in those seven areas, then you have a fully balanced and fully uh, integrated life. Now, when we're talking about setting and achieving goals, a lot of manifestation experts say it's not good to be too precise about how you want your outcome to be. Just kind of know where you're going, have a clear vision of where you want to be, but then kind of let the universe take over. How precise do you think we need to be with our desired outcomes? Well, as you said, I think there's two schools of thought. I can't even say it. Two schools of thought on that. And, um, you know, I kind of integrate the two. Uh, I'm a big believer in the law of attraction, which says if you just have an intention, you release it to the universe or let go and let God, as many people say, uh, and trust that it will happen, uh, that you will, in fact, attract many of those things into your life. What I like to work with, in addition to that, is the psychological and brain science, neuroscience dimension, which has taught us things like if you visualize your goal as already complete, you actually program the unconscious to start coming up with creative ideas. It's as if every day when you do that, you're sending out an, an email through the wireless Internet uh, to all the other brains on the planet who start picking that up. And that's how you attract people into your life. Over time, they begin to sense in a, in a, in a weird kind of way that they want to play with you. They're attracted to you. That's what the law of attraction means. And so... As far as goals, like saying specific things, like I want to have a 4,000-square-foot house on Pacific Coast Highway by June 13, 2006, or 7 or 8 or whatever the goal is, I believe in that. I do that because I believe that the unconscious doesn't know exactly what to manifest for you if you don't give it a very specific request. Now, I also know that I've set many goals. I do about 21 major goals a year, three in each of those seven categories, sometimes a few more. What happens for me is that I don't always achieve every one of those goals within that 12-month period. But usually within 18 to 24 months, I do. So I teach what I call high intention, low attachment, which means you have a high intention, you work very diligently to create what you want, you use all the creative processes and the mind laws and everything else we know in terms of success principles, but you're not attached to the outcomes, you're not frustrated, you're not in a state of anxiety or fear, and if it doesn't show up exactly the way you think, you trust that the universe may know a little better about how and when it's going to do that. Now, what do you mean when you say we have to believe in the outcome? Well, 
a lot of us have goals, but we really don't believe that either we deserve it or we don't believe that it's possible. And I believe that you've got to have a positive expectation. My first mentor was a guy named W. Clement Stone who was worth $600 million. And uh, that's back in 1968. And, and he took me under his wing and said, if you'll promise to teach other people what I'll teach you, I'll teach you everything I know about how to be successful. And I made that promise. I've kept it. And he did. And so on and so forth. So one of the things that he really taught me was the power of positive expectation. That if you go up to a bat in a baseball game and you're expecting to hit a single, there's no way you're going to hit a home run. So you've got to go up every time expecting that you're going to, you're going to hit a home run. And the same is true when I give a talk. I expect everybody's going to like it and enjoy it. When I give a seminar, I expect we'll fill it. When I, uh, you know, talk to my children, I expect they'll, uh, you know, follow the, the train of thought and either agree with me or tell me a good reason why we should do it differently. So I, I, I'm always expecting the best, whereas a lot of people come up and they're expecting to fail. They're expecting to get fired. They're expecting, they say things like, well, nothing ever good happens to me. And if you say that, then you create the emotional state of experiencing that, and that's what you keep attracting into your life. So people that live from a place of positive expectation tend to attract more abundance into their life. And then the next step you said is to visualize. What are the key elements to actually making visualization work? Well, the first thing you have to do is commit to doing it. second thing is you have to set aside uh, what I call a ritual time space to do it, meaning every morning or every night. Because if it doesn't happen, it's like it's the first thing I do in the morning or the second thing I do, it's probably not going to happen. They've proven the same research with people in exercise, that the people that get the most exercise and are the most fit are the people that do it every day at the same time and preferably in the morning. And so what I do is visualize twice a day. I set aside about five to ten minutes of time. And I have already gone through all of my goals and created an image of what it would look like. Like I could see my seminar full with 400 people. Or I could see me and my family walking on the Great Wall of China. If I need a, a visual cue, I might want to have a picture of the Great Wall of China that I can put on my refrigerator. Right now I've got four different pictures on my refrigerator of things that I want to make sure happen in my life. So it keeps me focused in that arena and gives me a, a clear picture of how to visualize it. And then I go inside, get relaxed, close my eyes, and uh, you can use music or not, depending on you know whether you like it, if it helps you relax. And then I think of each of my goals. And originally, you know, when I first start, I, I put them on three-by-five cards. And I just shuffle through them. I look at one, visualize it for maybe 25, 30 seconds, then look at the next card. After doing that for a month or two, you don't need the cards because you remember it. And then I just see everything the way I want it. I hear the sounds of how I would hear it, the waves lapping up on the shore or the people speaking in Chinese if I'm on the Great Wall of China. Or if I'm winning an award, I hear all the people congratulating me. Or if I'm driving a new car, I hear the sound of that car. And then finally, I, this is really the most important part that most people don't realize, is I feel the emotions I would feel if I already had it. Like, how would it be to be driving that Porsche down the freeway? Or how would it be to be walking on the Great Wall of China? Or how would I feel if I were, you know, uh, walking across the stage receiving an Oscar award or something? And it's that feeling state that actually creates the fuel that drives that uh, the, the subconscious brain work. It's also what the esoteric quantum physicist people are both telling us in terms of law of attraction, that it creates a magnetic field that attracts to you things that are vibrating at the same level, which are exactly the things you want.
So I guess for the people who say that they have trouble visualizing and when they close their eyes, they can't actually see anything. If they were to focus on the emotion instead, then they might be able to do it that way. They could. And, and what I say, because this is an important point you make, Heather, there are two kinds of visualizers. One's called eidetic, E-I-D-E-T-I-C. That'll be on the test. Basically, <laughs> what that means is that you, when you close your eyes, you see it in three-dimensional, metrical, meritechnicolor kind of thing. Most people don't do that. That's a very small minority, somewhere between 15 and 20%. 80% of people, when they visualize, just kind of think the picture. So if you can think the picture, just kind of make it up as if you were, you know, what color would the door be and how would I see it, how far would the vista be away and so forth. Um, I'll take people in my seminars, they say, I can't visualize. And I'll say, well, just imagine you're in a car. And they go, okay. I say, what kind of car is it? They go, Ford. I say, how would you know? Well, I just knew. And if you open the glove compartment, what's in there? Oh, there's this, that, and the other thing. Well, there's something in there you wouldn't expect. And they go, it's an apple. How'd you know? Well, I just thought it. That's visualization. So if you can do that, you can visualize. But as you said, uh, you know, some people are more auditorily uh, dominant. Some people are more uh, emotionally or kinesthetically dominant. The feeling is the, is the key part for them, absolutely. To learn more about Jack Canfield, just go to www.jackcanfield.com. And I hope you've enjoyed the first segment of our interview. But it's not over. There's a full 200% more than what you just heard where we delve deeper into these success principles. To unwrap the full interview and get lots more tools for success, just sign up to become a Success Unwrapped member on any level you choose at successunwrapped.com slash members. This has been Success Unwrapped with Heather Vale. Be sure to tune in to the next edition of Success Unwrapped, helping you to unwrap and discover your own potential for success. Until next time, keep unwrapping. I'm Heather Vale.